Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm concept developer Dr. Kelly Jones. We've structured How Story Works conversations to include instructional, fix it, interview, and FAQ episodes. Today's episode is an interview with our special guest, Josh Siegel. Josh Siegel is a writer and producer of television. For the last four years, he was a co-executive producer of the NBC comedy The Good Place. With his writing partner, Dylan Morgan, he has written multiple episodes of the show, including Janet's and The Trolley Problem, which won the 2018 and 2019 Hugo Awards for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form. Other credits include four seasons on NBC's award-winning comedy series 30 Rock, multiple episodes of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and a slew of other shows such as Monk, Great News, and the cult classic TV series Upright Citizens Brigade. In addition to writing for The Good Place, Josh also played the role of Glenn. Shut up, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) Story is power, and we don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work. Before we get started on our interview with Josh Siegel, um, we just say there is a little bit of background noise. He was outside and there are lovely birds and dogs. And so all of that is what I consider ambiance. So I think that it'll be fine. But we just wanted to give you a little heads up first that there will be some background noise. uh, But it's well worth it because Josh is amazing. And now for our interview with Josh Siegel. Josh Siegel, welcome to How Story Works, and thank you so much for taking time out of the apocalypse to spend with us. <laughs> thank you for having me. No two finer people I'd love to uh, spend the end of the world with, so this is great. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know he was a yeah. sweet talker, too. <laughs> right? I oh. know. Oh, my gosh. It's it's so amazing to get to talk with you um, and to get to meet you. And uh, before we get started on the interview, one of the things we do at Chipperish is talk about our favorite part. So just very quickly, we're going to talk about our favorite part of your work, if that's okay. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like I can stop you, so go ahead. <laughs> oh, he has listened to our podcast. He knows us, right? Well, I, I mean, I just, I love the whole thing you have in The Good Place where someone just stands in front of you and says how wonderful you are and showers you with compliments. I'm like, can I get that in my, like, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll try to evoke that spirit. So Lonnie, what's your, what's your favorite part of Josh's work? You know, what's so funny is that hand to God, Josh, and I swear to God, I am not kissing ass here. You wrote my two favorite episodes of The Good Place, Janet's and The Trolley Problem. Oh, um, thank you so much. I love them so much. Uh, Janet's, first of all, is an exercise in character and, um, and Darcy was amazing. Yeah. Playing all of those roles. She, I think I think seeing Darcy uh, do Jason is probably and I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean, like, you know, I, it, yeah. Anyway, that went bad. Um, <laughs> it's probably like my favorite, my favorite thing. But the yeah. writing of that showed such an incredible um, grasp and control of character an expertise with character that I think was just beautifully done. Um, and the trolley problem is such a great and i think the cheaty the cheaty in the trolley problem oh yeah is probably my favorite <laughs> cheaty of the whole thing and so to have you here talking to us during the season of how story works conversations where we are discussing character um is so exciting to me so thank you for writing those unbelievable episodes they were incredible that's incredibly kind thank you very much those were two uh career highlights and you know the thing that i'll just throw out even as you're complimenting me just know obviously that you're also complimenting my writing partner Dylan Morgan Mm -hmm. and the entire writing staff of The Good Place and obviously the creator of The Good Place Mike Schur and it's TV is collaborative I'm sure we'll talk about it but um yes you know uh but thank you but thank you yes I (laughs) I I I think I would have liked those episodes um even if I didn't get to be part of them so I'm glad they turned out so good thank you they were really really great Kelly what's your favorite part well I mean for me like Janet period is (laughs) one of my all-time favorite characters of anything I've ever seen I love Janet but the trolley problem was also one of my favorites um Josh I've, I've been a teacher for years and years and years and I taught middle school and high school and was a college professor and and I always joke about like pedagogy and action pedagogy on fire like how do you take something abstract and make it real and you and like I have sat through 
the trolley problem yes, <laughs> discussion right. with, with many, many, many students, you know, or just similar, you know, philosophy debates like that. And when they just popped in, they were like, okay, here you go. Go kill these people. And they actually hit them. Yeah. And, and, blow it. and I was like, oh my God, if I could do simulations like that, I would be the most evil power drunk professor in the world. Yeah. And it would be amazing. Oh. Um, but I just, I loved that. Um, but I am also a huge fan of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, cool. um, which I, I just love and adore. So it's just, yeah, it's the humor that you have where you still bring so much heart, you know, and develop those characters so much as people. It's just delightful. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you guys. It's, uh, yeah, I have a, you know, I have a lot of, uh, compliments to dole out, uh, to my, side of the writing process you know at, at, even as you guys are saying nice things about this but it's um yeah the trolley problem in particular was fun and we got to tap into our own fears about uh when we first learned we had a uh, this is just a quick aside but when we had a uh, professor come in to teach us about the trolley problem pam hieronymy um and uh, she would point to each of us and make each of us answer and i will tell you that that panic of having to answer, even just sitting in a lovely chair on the universal lot, um, that panic was very helpful during the writing process. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm glad it all I'm glad it all came through. Yeah, no, it did. It was so great. Um, all right, so Josh, how did you get started writing? How what what <laughs> inspired you in the beginning? Um, you know, I so I just always sort of gravitated towards. Um, stories and movies and comic books and things like that and um when i was pretty young uh it, it it all feels so you know silly and i feel very lucky to have any sort of career at all especially given um you know the goofy way i started but the the way i started was um my buddies would come over when i was like 9 10 11 and have a sleepover and instead of like watching movies, they would, um, we would just make up choose your own adventures um, on our own. And I just would like tell stories and give them moments to choose one thing or the other. And it was all sort of like off the cuff and very, you know, we did whatever we wanted. But I really just started to, um, it was like, you know, one of the few things, you know, I think everybody has those things that just make them light up and feel like themselves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um storytelling mm -hmm. sort of was that for me uh and then you know i i didn't forget about it but it just didn't feel like a um a feasible uh career given that i didn't know anyone in show business and it all felt very far away uh but i sort of you know went to my um you know writing things here and there but i went to my uh a kind of state school that was an hour and a half away from me and then there was a television station uh at you know at the school and i ended up working at this little comedy show that was on that um network for 75 people and um and then uh it, it ended up winning an award uh with comedy central not because it was so great but who knows there were probably like four entries total or whatever <laughs> um and uh and but then um when i uh when they uh awarded um this little thing to us i reached out to them and i said you know thank you for the award and and uh they ended up saying, oh, do you want us, um, the person I called ended up not being the person who would give me the award. So she was like, oh, do you, can you send me the show? I'd love to see it. And as I was sealing the envelope on sending her, um, you know, this dates it, obviously, I was sending her a physical cassette of some right. sort <laughs> and putting it in an actual uh, mailbox. Um, I realized, oh, the show is bad. The show is bad. It's not good enough for Comedy Central. And so what I did was I said, look, here's the show, take it or leave it. But at the same time, uh, would you ever like to do a, um, if you'd ever, if Comedy Central would ever want to do um, a college comedy around the world show, we would love to, I would love to help spearhead that and mm -hmm. sort through stuff for you or whatever. 
And so they watched the show, they realized it was bad, but they liked this other idea. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, as a result of just those conversations, that obviously didn't happen, but they offered me an internship. And, you know, that was like my little foot in the door. And so I, you know, moved to New York and I had an internship at Comedy Central. And then I, um, uh, you know, worked as a writer's assistant and then just started to show samples of work to whoever would read them and eventually got my first job. Wow. That's yeah. very, very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So what drew you to writing comedy specifically? It's so, uh, I feel so incredibly guilty saying this part because <laughs> I, I in no way thought I would ever be involved in comedy. I just never, that was not what I saw for myself. It wasn't the kind of writing I did when I was a kid. You know, I grew up, I thought I would be writing action movies and I thought I'd be writing comic books and I even tried. I mean, I found breaking into comic books much harder than breaking into television. It was just such mm -hmm. a tight-knit community and I just thought I'd be writing all of those things. And then what ended up happening was when I was in college, um, there were two shows. Uh, one was like, this, you know, somewhat artsy, but at the college level, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits-esque, um, you know, show that did essentially short, mysterious films. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the one I'm gonna do. And then there was this other one that was the comedy show. And it just turned out that the, the, the framework for the, um, the spooky show fell apart because they were all artists and they didn't want to work with each other and they all quit. <laughs> And then the comedy show people were like, yeah, let's get together once a week and we'll do a skit and, you know, whatever. And even comedy people would hate that I just use the word skit. They hate that <laughs> word. Um, so then I was like, okay, well, the, the, you know, this is all a lark anyway, so I'll just work on the comedy show for a little while and then I'll get back to the real writing I do. And then I won this Comedy Central Award, the, the team did. And so then I got my internship at Comedy Central and I said, okay, well, I'll just do comedy now because that's who's reading my stuff. But eventually I'll get back to this other writing that I do. And then the first job I got was on a comedy show and um, the second and the third and the fourth. And, you know, it, it just, that's where the uh, current took me. Mm -hmm. And so I had to you know, I was not a class clown. I was not a stand-up. I didn't memorize Steve Martin albums or, you know, all the cliches you hear about comedy people. I just was none of those things. And so, you know, I had to really sort of um, find the things in comedy that I loved. And what I started to love and realize was that, you know, humor is a part of everything I've always liked, even those action mm -hmm. movies, even those comic books. Humor is a part of, it's what, to me, is the difference between a flat character and a character that feels alive is that they're not one thing all the time. You know, they, mm -hmm. they can be funny. And then when they're not funny, that's telling you something also. So I just, uh, you know, it's a long way of saying, um, I'm not supposed to be in comedy. I'm just, I'm not, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but here we are and, and, and I have loved it. You know, I've been yeah. you know, doing this for a long time now and, uh, um, I, very grateful that I get to not only work in comedy, but working in comedy, if you're with the right team, it's just lovely. Just you get to, you know, hang out with um, 10 of the funniest people you've ever met and uh, you all make each other laugh and it's great. Yeah. Well, Mike Schur is um, honestly like I'm I'm such a big fan of Mike Schur since the office days and uh, all I hear about him. The only thing I ever hear about him is that he is literally one of the world's most loveliest people, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm here to confirm uh, it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not at all. I'm not at all surprised, especially being able to, you know, conceive of something with as much genuine heart as the good place. Um, but when you're talking about moving, you know, like you started out in one thing and you wanted to do one thing, but that door was closed. So you went through the open door and here you are being funny. Right. Um, 
there is a certain adaptability that I think comes along with uh, being a professional writer, right? Because at a certain point, you got to go where the money is, you know, you got to make your living, you know. Um, And so that adaptability, I think, um, is is something that can be really, really useful in television because you are moving into, you know, usually the vision is set by the showrunner creator. And then as a writer, you come in, you learn to work with the voices of these characters that you didn't create within the world world that you didn't create, but that you're helping to kind of build up as you go. So when you walk into a, a, a built world, you know, that's new and you've got to learn these characters that are new, um, what is your process for getting to know the characters and, and getting to know how they tick? Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the lovely nice thing is that if a show is well built, and if the writing you know in the pilot is strong and especially if you're lucky enough and mike sure is particularly gifted at all of the things i've mentioned but especially this next piece which is casting you know his mm-hmm. record is just unbelievable and he works with great people he works with allison jones he works with all these folks to 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 find all these folks but um you know it the nice thing is is that it's not the hardest job you'll ever have to find those voices. At least uh, I have not found that to be the case. Um, You know, people come to writing for all sorts of different, uh, in all sorts of different ways. And I've even, you know, tried to reach out to younger writers and they have all these questions about like, well, you know, do you start with um, jokes first or do you start with characters first or do you start with like a thing you want to see happen or whatever? And, you know, it's really forced me to, like, think about my own process a little bit. And what I realized for myself is that, you know, if I have one thing that I, um, that allows me to do the work um, the most, it's that I just have an ability, like many of us do, to care about people that happen to be pretend, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and they're just like, you start to, um, even with the, uh, you know, the network uh, comedy game especially, you're under such extraordinarily difficult time constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have essentially, for the most part, especially in what we call a half hour, it's actually 21 and a half minutes of um, actual content right now. So you have to be incredibly selective and you're really just sketching in these characters and hopefully leaving room for depth to be present in the pilot, but then to continue to come. And so then when you're a showrunner, you're reaching out to people that you think are good and Mm -hmm. uh, involving them in the, okay, let's look at what we've sketched in and now let's continue to make this character rich. Let's fill in the gaps. Let's explore what we meant when we said um, this thing about Eleanor Shellstrop or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it really, I, I, you know, I wish I had some like, you know, fun thing about like, <laughs> then I wake up at five in the morning and I go for a run and then I take up my old typewriter and I, <laughs> I, I fill a diary with, you know, whatever. But really, it honestly is just, you know, you find yourself caring about pretend people and you find yourself wondering like, oh gosh, what would be a challenge for this person who's not real? What would right. be, what, what would we really want to see them accomplish? What would we, who would we want them to fall in love with? Would we want to see them fall in love? You know, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. And you start to just really get a sense. Um, and again, especially, especially in The Good Place, we were so lucky, not just that Mike built it, but that we cast these, that Mike, you know, Mm-hmm. found these incredible people and then you know once once uh darcy carden is janet um janet just starts talking and um <laughs> it's great <laughs> no it's so fantastic one of the things you were talking about though is of course like the role of the actors in sort of breathing life into these characters that are imagined at a certain point but then the actors come in and do that um i find it really interesting because i do believe that actors are also writers that they bring elements of nuance and everything in so my my question for you is as you were an actor on the show too so you got to play glenn who was adorable how was that experience of writing from kind of like from the the inside out you know um from from that acting perspective well, I have a I have a complicated relationship with Glenn. 
Uh, um, <laughs> Shut up, Glenn. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I will tell you the, I, the quickest version of how I came to be Glenn, which was that um, Glenn was a character that was written um, into an early script. Um, we just thought it was, you know, very funny that there would be sort of this, um, you know, nebbishy, uh, you know, uh, person in their neighborhood um, who, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, kind of a whatever. Um, you, you've you've seen Glenn. You, yes. you know, you know what he is. I don't need to add to my therapy. A very bills, sweet but, demon. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and then we have these uh, these table reads for television where sometimes before a part is cast, um, writers will fill in and do the voices for those characters just so we can see in the context of the script. And nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, you know, it's just, hey, you're filling in and you expect it to go to what I will call a real actor later. <laughs> um and then Mike just got in his head and the room got behind this idea, um, somewhat against my will in the beginning, <laughs> um, that I should play uh, this role. And um, there were some twists and turns after that, but ultimately I did it. And I will tell you in terms of like the, 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 the dialogue between writer and actor both inside me and what happens every day on set was that I went on set I performed as Glenn for an hour mm -hmm. I pretty much during that had a nervous breakdown oh. uh, and you know uh not really but I just I immediately had this instinct to sort of apologize to every actor I'd ever worked with before <laughs> that moment because um, it's just, you know, what we ask them to do, and especially in the shows that I've worked on and not necessarily because I would write this way all the time, but often shows like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and, and Good Place and all these other things, you know, we're asking them to do not just, um, we're just asking them to do these incredibly complicated things. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying one thing while you mean something else. And also you're feeling this thing from three weeks ago and all of it's got to happen. And if you can't say it fast enough, uh, then we're kind of get out of the show. Like, it's just, it's crazy. And mm -hmm. so then suddenly I was the person that had to do those things. And, you know, I immediately <laughs> left set and I donated to Kristen Bell's favorite charity. And I, <laughs> you know, I got cookies for uh, the crew and I was just, you know, um, so anyway, it's a long way of saying it's only given me more respect for how much work that they have to do mm -hmm. um, and how much they have to really thoughtfully engage with what has been written for them. And I will say that um, the, the actors that are the most fun to work with are the ones who I think are taking, even if they're not going to say every word, they're taking the intention of the words very seriously mm -hmm. and being very thoughtful about them. And I, you know, Good Place felt like, you know, we had these four years and we just felt very, I think because of Mike's incredible leadership and also because of our casting, we just truly felt safe in everyone's hands. And if an actor ever had an issue with what we were doing, then we would take that incredibly seriously also, you know? And it, mm -hmm. often it wasn't big stuff. It was just like, um, hey, I'm not sure she would be this sad right here or, you know, little little things like that. And you just start to like, that's the best, the, the way it feels the best to me is when there's like just an ongoing um, dialogue between all of those things and, and only having um, done it myself now am I, you know, it took me once, I used to love pitching for Glenn until I had to be Glenn. <laughs> and and then it felt, uh, uh, you know, like the worst thing in the world. And it took a full, Glenn used to appear in a lot more scripts than he actually appeared, I think because because the writers really enjoyed how much I didn't <laughs> didn't enjoy <laughs> it. And they're like, oh, Glenn's in this one. I'm like, no, he's not. And, um, but it took me like 
you know, two full years after Glenn first existed to start pitching for Glenn again. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until the middle of the third season where he makes an appearance. And I, I talked for like three minutes of apology before I said, but may I now pitch a line for Glenn? And everyone was like, yeah, sure. And I did. And, you know, got it. it (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's complicated. None of it's easy. So what is your favorite character that you've written and why, if you can choose a favorite? It's, you know, you, you sort of have to always um, pick a favorite um, as your, you know, and I've been incredibly lucky. I've just worked on shows that have some really funny, great characters that are rich and um, interesting and, and played so well. It, it's really hard Having just come off the good place, I will say that, like, you know, Janet was just like a particularly mm-hmm. favorite um, challenge and thing that was exciting. Number one, because, you know, Darcy is so gifted and an absolute joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was sort of a little bit funny that, um, you know, we wrote that episode, Janet, and Janet, you know, Darcy is playing these four different parts, but she's also playing, mm-hmm. um, you know, Janet. A- and and we one of the things we always, like, wanted to make sure was, like, oh, let's make sure that actual Janet is in this and really has mm-hmm. some moves and some emotion so it doesn't feel too much, too much like uh, an impression contest or something. Um, and then, you know, also just in this final season, um, you know, having done, you know, we wrote, we got to write um, our last episode that we got our names on, Funeral for All Funerals. Um, it ended up being like a really um, kind of in a sneaky way and also like a big Janet being Janet episode because it sort of ends with, you know, well, spoiler for people who haven't seen <laughs> all the good place, but it ends in a very Janet-centric way, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it was such a cool challenge because when you have a character like that, you're being asked to um, look at the entire world, the life, death, and, you know, universe and everything. Um, And you're asked to look at it differently. You're asked to look at it from someone who is new to it, you know, who doesn't understand it. And that was such like a cool challenge. Uh, And, you know, and then at the end of the day, you get to hang out with Darcy for eight hours and uh, make it come to life. So that was, that was, yeah, I I would, I would do that for the rest of my life if Mike uh, would have let me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one thing I uh, named, we got a kitten a couple of years ago, yeah. and I named her Janet, both good Janet and bad Janet, Great. and I put it on Twitter, and Darcy Carden liked it, and it was like my whole life. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, bad. And she's also mostly bad Janet now, I have to say. This okay. cat is definitely an asshole. But anyway... <laughs> I love it. Darcy Carden is is such such a delight, and yeah. I am like jealous that you got to write for her because I just think that that has got to be such an amazing experience. Oh yeah, she's she's the best. She she's that feeling you got when she liked something um, on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, just imagine her liking something in person, and oh, you know, I can't imagine. it's great. <laughs> it's great. I recommend it. <laughs> No, she was, she was so great. And just the whole, I mean, the concept of Janet and the execution of that, the acting, um, the way that character evolved and and the role that she took on in the show just delighted me in so many ways. I mean, I, I loved it so much. Oh, cool. Uh, But one of the, one of the things that I'm drawn to with your work is this, this unexpected humor with topics that on paper (laughs) don't sound that funny. Right. So you have like philosophy and morality ethics and the afterlife and then like life after being in an isolated cult (laughs) and you know normally those things aren't so funny and you don't you you're not the shows don't make fun of those things right which is it's just why I think I like it so much because you're bringing that humor and heart to something that is complicated and difficult without erasing that complication 
Um, although I will argue for me, so I'm a I'm a researcher, I'm a nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. When I finished The Good Place, and by the way, the series finale made me cry like a little, little baby child. So thank you for that. Um, I was not expecting that. But I was like, oh, this is a show pretending to be about philosophy and morals and the afterlife. But it's really about the fact that qualitative research methodology is much better than quantitative. So like, oh, you got that it. That is going to be yeah. my personal stance moving forward. Every day Mike would say that in the room. That's <laughs> oh, see, that, I feel so seen right yeah. now, Josh. Thank you. I feel so validated. But was that something that, that you enjoy working with is kind of something that is deep and complicated when you're writing funny or is that something that, that speaks to you? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the first thing I have to say, you know, um, just out of um, just because it's true is, you know, when you're looking at my work within the houses that the other people built, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that, you know, Mike, because of Parks and Rec and that seven year success, you know, he truly got a blank check to do whatever he wanted um, with The Good Place. And he made the, you know, um, it was just deep inside him to be talking about all of these themes and to be talking about philosophy and, and then also to remind us every day, look, you know, I promise them it's not just going to be a show with a with a guy at a blackboard talking about philosophy. Mm -hmm. So let's let's push ourselves to continue to be funny and continue to be interesting and go to deep and dark and um, untouched places and 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 try to make them, you know, funny for a half hour on NBC. Um, and you know, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know, I, when I I, my branding partner and I only did the second season of that show, but we had a history with those folks from 30 Rock. And when we had read the original pilot for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know, it was just, it was so uh, deft and it was so um, impressive the way that they were doing, because, you know, the comedy that they do can be sometimes very pushed and very silly but they especially in that pilot they just never lost sight of you know as much as they would probably hate to say these words out loud that's a that's a pretty important story um to talk about mm -hmm. a survivor and talk about someone who um uh is going to try to move forward after um an, an almost unthinkably difficult experience you know and it's something that um you know, more people have had to face than uh, I wish I had, had to face it. So, you know, I, I, I can't take credit for the going there because because someone, you know, went there first and just invited me along. But I will say as a writer myself, it's, yeah, you know, if you have the option to write about things that are incredibly meaningful to people or you uh, can write about um two dads arguing over uh, how to barbecue something. Um, I would rather do the first one, you know? I'd rather, you know, use comedy as this secret entrance to um, all the things that, you know, people want to be talking about um, but are afraid to or that need to be talking about but can't figure out how to or um, just things that are incredibly meaningful, you know? and the reality is, um, you know, and and you're seeing a lot of this anyway with the way so much prestige um, comedy is going. You know, so many things that are billed as comedies are somewhere between 70 and 95% dramas anyway. Um, but mm -hmm. so, and that, that work is great. And I am a huge fan of shows that you could describe that way. Um, but the I do get a particular delight from trying to take something very rich, meaningful with some darkness in it, and then also make it very funny. Um, mm -hmm. That's great. What's more fun than that? It's, uh, it's a blast. <laughs> well, I think a lot of comedy does come from damage and darkness. You know, like yeah. we, we use our humor to kind of face, to light up those places that are, are frightening to walk into. And it's neat to see um, to see those kinds of things happening on, on television. I think as we've expanded kind of, you know, it, we've gotten past those 
for those of us of a certain age who remember the day that there were only three channels, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and the the gatekeeping was so severe there, as opposed to now, everything creatively is kind of opened up, and television has offered this space of this long term, deeper. Um, storytelling that you can tell stories that we never would have seen, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, let alone 20. Um, it's it's exciting to be able to see comedy use some of those dark places and, and not even necessarily dark, but like fearful places. I think we use comedy to, to combat the fear of, of the things that we need to confront. Um, and, and I mean, what else, what's more fearful than like, uh, what happens when we die? You know, like that's terrifying. (laughs) And so to take this in the good place. And it's funny because my, my oldest daughter is, was a junior in high school when we started watching the good place, um, and absolutely adored it. And she is a philosophy major now. So I just want to, you know, I think it's because of you guys. Ah, that's the dream. (laughs) That's great. We need more thoughtful people, uh, going out there and doing the work. So that's, uh, that's that's great. I'll pass it along to Mike. Yes, he, definitely he gets do. All the credit. Yeah. Definitely do. Um, all right. So uh, writing for most or for okay, I'm I come from a novel background. So like yeah. for me and all of my writing friends, it's this very like isolated experience for the most part. Um, I'm interested in the experience of writing in community. Um, because there are times like when you're writing a novel, when you're writing something on your own, that you'll sit with other writers and you'll talk, you know, they'll read it, you'll bounce ideas back and forth. And there is this, it, there's something in the communal like breath that just lifts up the material in a way. And I've never had the experience of writing on a TV show, although that was my dream when I was in college, but then I, I couldn't pull it off. So I ended up being a novelist. Um, well, nobody ends up being a novelist. She <laughs> <laughs> well, worked super well, hard and became a novelist. If I but yeah, okay. ever make it out to Los Angeles, we will sit down and have a drink and I will tell you how that okay, happened. But, um, yes, absolutely. Um, but this communal experience of of writing to me i mean i as as a writer in isolation kind of um idolize that communal experience and i'm i'm curious how that is for you how does it feel to walk into a room with a bunch of writers and is it a lot of is it like that idealized sense that i have where everything's just wonderful are there um is it sometimes really tough to sort of make everybody's vision work how does that work yeah when it is working, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. It is mm-hmm. the closest I get to church, synagogue, mm-hmm. you know, just it's, and you are glowing by the end of it. It's incredibly yeah. good. Um, to get there, a, a bunch of things need to go right. Um, mm-hmm. You need to, I think, in a perfect world, be, have, uh, a strong leader who is making good choices, not just about who gets to be in that room in the first place, but also what what the bullseye that is being painted for the day looks like and how we're being instructed to hit it and how we're saying, oh, gosh, I think it's actually um, the bullseye is behind us and we never realized it. And, you know, you get to have all those open discussions mm-hmm. once the right people in the room and the right people are leading. Um, and you know, sometimes it's the, it's often the showrunner and sometimes it's someone the showrunner has delegated either for that day or for an extended period of time. Um, I was really, uh, one of the things that I, that really scared me about comedy in general was that, you know, you can, when you're discussing stories with a group of people, um, there isn't, um, you might have some internal sense of what's right or wrong um, and you might be right and you might be wrong or maybe there's 10 right answers or whatever. And that's just lovely to just talk about a story with 10 smart people. In comedy, there's this additional element often, which is that you have to sort of um, you, you're producing things that you think will be funny, uh, you know, just throwing out jokes and things. And it's not that there's a right or wrong, but there is an audience right there. And um, if those 10 people are laughing, you probably have a suspicion that you're closer to the right answer um, than you were when everyone was dead silent and checking their phones. So mm-hmm. it's, um, 
you know, it, it can be thrilling. It can be scary. Um, it can be, as you can imagine, incredibly dysfunctional if <laughs> the folks at the top um, have not done those two things, if they have not brought the right people together, if they don't know where they're headed, if their own insecurities are overwhelming them and those insecurities are being passed on to the rest of us. Um, if you've got even one or two, um, you know, I forget who this is actually attributed to, but I will tell you that Mike Schur told me something that I think he heard from Greg Daniels, but I forgive me if this is like a well-known thing. He's like, in a, in a writer's room, you want, if there's 10 people, you want nine firefighters and one arsonist. <laughs> and, you know... He, and he said, you, you hope for 10 firefighters, but you mm -hmm. won't get 10 firefighters. But, you know, you can handle one arsonist. Mm -hmm. And but, you know, sometimes you're in a room and there's like six or seven arsonists and <laughs> um, you're like, yikes, guys, we still don't have it, um, mm -hmm. you know, because everyone is tearing down instead of building up. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, um, you know, and there's all these different phases of the process. And I enjoy each one in its own way. I enjoy when we're just hanging out on some couches and talking about the next story. I enjoy when we're putting cards up on a board and looking at the story order. And I enjoy when we're in a script and we're trying to be funny. And there's this magical thing that happens where every writer in the room will adopt their version of an impression of a character because you just find yourself naturally pitching in that character's voice because that's just how to make it a little bit funnier and um yeah it's great it's when it's working it's it's lovely it's perfect that sounds really really wonderful and i have to say in my head it's very idealized because it's not an experience i usually get to have so <laughs> so i'll just keep my little idealized wonderful idea in there um but i love yeah. the i love the idea of the firefighters and the arsonists and i think that that is because yeah. you got to have somebody stirring stuff up and then you got to have enough people that they can keep that you know calm down and and that's resolved. Right. yeah i love it um okay so writing dialogue uh, we had a discussion here on the podcast about writing dialogue and how important that is to develop developing character and as a tv writer like you know you really have to have your dialogue game on in order to write for television what tips would you have for writers who are struggling with writing good dialogue it's a great question uh, you know we have the benefit of in television um we we will read it and hear everything um dozens of times before it's on television. We will hear it initially in the writer's room and we will hear it at a table read and we will hear it at rehearsal and then we will hear it in the actual filming and you know, all this other stuff. So we, so, but not every part of the writing process, obviously, do you get to be that lucky. Mm -hmm. I have found that saying things out loud a little bit to yourself, even if you feel silly, um, can be, incredibly instructive if you have a hard time saying something or if you if it's very wordy or if it's very long or if it just feels like oh yes I've said the information but I sure don't sound like a person who is saying words in the real world you know I think you hear a bunch of that stuff when you're saying things out loud for yourself um, and you know on the other side of it I also think that sometimes it's not a problem with dialogue always sometimes it is a you know an issue with um the character you know if you find that like you really wish a character was um coming out funnier and you have a sense that you can be funny um in dialogue but when you're writing this character this character is just not that funny mm -hmm. um you know it might be nice to look at who that person is and and not that you haven't built the character properly, but you want to be able to zero in on the thing that is sort of being lit up inside that character when that line of dialogue is coming out, you know? Um, and I find that like, you know, just The Good Place is a recent example. You know, you would start to sense um, 
oh, what does Tahani want every time she opens her mouth? Well, Mm -hmm. she wants to say what she wants to say, but she also wants you to know that she's Tahani, you know? And um, so uh, just zeroing in on that idea from a character perspective, I think allowed us to just, you know, write in her voice um, as often as we want to, you know, um, Jason Mendoza, you know, you you wanted to, um, we would give him incredibly written jokes uh, not not that we wrote them so well but that they were like very written they were very just like you have to say this part and then you have to pause and then you have to say these nine words and then you mm-hmm. say this other thing you know but from a character perspective he was sort of the opposite of that you know we wanted to make sure that he always had uh an innocence about him and was um there was an innate kindness and in some ways an obliviousness to um, some of these larger concerns that other people were wrestling with all the time. So, you know, it's, it's really just like, I think thinking about your character and, you know, looking like a fool and saying stuff out loud and making sure it sounds like a a person, well, assuming you're writing a person, you know, maybe (laughs) you're not. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, you just, you you mess with it. I, I think especially like, at the beginning of writing something, sometimes it's hard to, you know, we talk about like capturing a voice, which mm-hmm. you know, sounds like, why is it weirdly violent or something? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that like, as you go on through a thing, um, you know, I, I look back at our, you know, even having done this for 10, 15 years, I look at our first episode of The Good Place and um, I think about like who we were nailing dialogue wise and who um, either evolved after that episode or who, you know, we were still figuring out and wishing it could go back. You know, I find that at the end of a script, especially your first script with some characters, you might find by the end of a script that you're like, oh, wait, let me take another shot at what these two people say to each other in the beginning, not just because I want to set up a story thing, but because I think I know how they sound a little bit more now. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's not a, it's not a, there's no surefire how to, as mm-hmm. there isn't with, you know, all of this stuff, but that's sort of what's worked for me, I guess. So Josh, what's the hardest part about writing for you and how do you get over those hurdles? What is the hardest part? I guess a couple things the, initially, Initially, when I got into comedy, the hardest part was saying things out loud that are bad (laughs) (laughs) and hearing either stony silence or literally, no, that is bad, you know, Um, and knowing that in order to do the job I do, but I would say in order to do any sort of writing job, you have to run into that hurdle knock it over, drag it with you for 10 feet. And then there's another hurdle, but you've got to keep running and you can't let silence and you can't let, um, knowing that you, you, you know, um, messed up or, you know, and my therapist would tell us to not think in terms of right and wrong. Um, <laughs> but, Good therapist. Yes. um, <laughs> But, you know, you it hurts. It hurts your feelings. You're like, oh, shoot, I thought that was something when it was in my head. And then I said it out loud. And everyone was like, mm, that wasn't it. <laughs> um, and then you've got to, you know, you shake it off. And, you know, and you've got to make that shake off time smaller and smaller in order to um, keep producing at a level um, that is uh, expected of you, whether it's in your own work or, or, or in television around a bunch of other people. So at the beginning, that was the hardest part. It was just like, because I, you know. I can go home at night and really think about something I did wrong. I am so good at that. Uh, and, you know, but especially in a writer's room in television, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about the last thing, you're missing the next thing. And you are just, you're in your head. And then suddenly people are saying things that you've been thinking about. And you're like, wait, I could have said that, but I didn't say it. Now they've said it. And now, mm-hmm. you know. And you just can't get in your head. And it, it's you've got to just like keep going, keep going, keep going. So that was the, at first the hardest part. And now I'm, you know, the the safety is off and, you know, I'll say whatever and I'll feel incredibly passionate about things that six months later I'll say, oh boy, thank God I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it all happens. And I would say now um, the the hardest thing 
even, you know, having had, you know, uh, being a professional writer for, for a while is being passionate and, and, and having continued faith in a thing that isn't done or good yet. Um, you know, it, when you are starting something and you're on page three and before you opened up your laptop, you were like, this is gonna fly out of me. And uh, boy, I'm going to have to take time off from everything to just finish this tonight. And then, you know, you're there and you're like, Ooh, no, this is bad and hard. Like everything always is. Mm-hmm. Well, I really thought this one <laughs> would be different. Um, and it's not, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, I will tell you that, you know, e- you can work for 10, 15, 20 years and still have a little graveyard of things that you started and didn't mm-hmm. quite finish or didn't even really start, if you're being honest. And it's just hard to, um, and I would say, especially when you are starting out, um, pushing on those things a little longer than is comfortable is sometimes really helpful Mm -hmm. because not because everything you're going to create is going to be sparkling art blockbuster and make (laughs) you a trillion dollars. It's not, but the finishing of things is it's incredibly powerful. Psychologically, a finished thing is so much easier for everyone around you and far away from you to read than an unfinished thing or a half finished thing, but this is what I want to do with it. And, you know, all of that stuff, it's like all so natural to go to that place as a writer. Um, I'm writing something um, it is so different even than I have this idea, you know, and I think we've all had that experience of like, here's this idea and as you're saying the idea, it's like you're just lighting up and the other person's like, oh, that sounds cool or whatever. Um, and then, but that in and of itself, um, it, you've had that experience now. That, mm-hmm. that, that, is the, that, is mm-hmm. the, that is that experience. Unless you're going to become someone who can go in and you know, pitch these things to powerful folks or whatever. But especially, I would assume, in, you know, in the novel world, Mm-hmm. Um, you, you better go write the thing or it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, a- and the, so I think we all have these moments where you're starting something and suddenly you have this better idea, you know, mm-hmm. and now you're gonna, oh, I'm, I'm just going to work on the better idea. And <laughs> <laughs> let, let me yeah. tell you what happens when you work on the better idea. Suddenly the other idea looks a little better. Sometimes there's a third idea that also is better. Um, not working seems pretty great too. You know, it's um, you know, sometimes you just gotta sit with the thing and 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 push against it. And look, mm-hmm. at the end of that line, there is obviously a version where you've spent. Um, I had a thing that I worked on for ten years, and it just never. I could never turn it into something where people um, saw my vision for it. I, I changed genres twenty times. I, you know, I just did everything I could, um, and I could just never get it to a place where um, it fought its way into the world, or, or I protected it enough for it to wander out into the world, and. And still, and yet, I am so grateful that I pushed on it as hard as I did because it really, um, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about, you know, trying to have faith in things um, even when they weren't immediately proving that you should have faith in them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that feeling applies to the things that are successful too. You know, even the things that you finish, um, you know, and are successful, I think you will have had those moments um, where you thought they were junk and you thought Mm -hmm. they weren't worth finishing. And to know that you can finish a thing, um, you know, I think especially as a younger or newer writer, um, it's just such a powerful thing. So um, that is still the thing I struggle with though. It's still just like, I'm on page five, it's not quite clicking yet. Do I scrap this? Do I? Or do I take a walk, come back to it? Um, you know, do I, uh, let's figure this out. But I, it's mm-hmm. hard. It's hard. <laughs> no, I love that. That I, 
going to be listening to you say those words about finishing <laughs> yeah. things. Uh, quite a lot. Quite a lot. I'm, I'm going to oh. be replaying that over and over again. Well, so yeah. on the fl- on the flip side, what is your favorite part of writing and why? Oh, I mean, you know, when it's done like that, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, my favorite part of writing is um, when a scene really, when you feel really good about a scene and you go back or I, in my process, once I'm done, I'll go back and I'll give it a reread. And when I'm, you know, I've rewritten a scene many times. I've, you know, and when you get to that point where you're just tweaking like a couple things, but you're like, oh, I like how this scene begins. And I, oh, it's got a little middle there. That's pretty cool. And then a scene ends and you're like, oh, that, hey, that's an okay scene. Even if the rest of this is garbage, I think, and maybe we'll cut this out eventually, but like, well, that scene would have worked and it would have been Mm -hmm. fun. That is Mm -hmm. great. And it's a great feeling, you know, especially when it's delivering not just on plot stuff and not just when it's got a joke that makes you laugh, but when it's also moving um, the characters forward emotionally, even in some little tiny way, that, that is a really pleasing feeling. And um, it's, you know, it doesn't happen without hard work. And even you could, you know, have that feeling or I can have that feeling and show it to someone else. And they're like, I don't think we need this scene. Like, <laughs> but that's, I celebrated. So I think <laughs> we need that scene. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's tricky. And, and I'm just not, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't trust any writer who's like, oh, knocked it out of the park again. Had another great, <laughs> oh, God, can't wait for this to, to read it again. No, I, you know, I don't trust people like that, but you know, to have those little moments where you're like, no, I worked hard. I think it can be the same as like when, you know, you, uh, um, you know, when you do anything that you're proud of, you know, you can scrape something clean with a toothbrush and then just say, oh, look at that. Like, I know it's going to get dirty again and maybe no one will want to use this old thing anyway, but like I made it cleaner. That's pretty cool. You know, it's like, uh, it's okay. So I like that feeling. Well, Josh, I cannot thank you enough for being here with us today and and to have the opportunity to meet you and talk with you is just lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you guys. I'm a a big fan of this podcast and Chipperish and uh, felt very honored to be invited. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Josh. It's wonderful to meet you in person. I think we get along like a house on fire. The next time I'm in LA, I'm looking you up. Um, Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> love it uh can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media or website or yeah sure um almost nowhere uh the, <laughs> i i am i i twitter in this crisis has been very um mm-hmm. difficult but feel free to always say hello i don't always respond but you're you're welcome to reach out to me on twitter um it's my name which uh has a, a spelling that uh, really confuses some folks and there's a lot of other Josh Siegels there's like a poet in the UK and I've forwarded some things to him so even if you're trying to reach either of us happy to help uh, but it's at Josh Siegel with my spelling which is S-I-E-G-A-L at Josh Siegel uh, on Twitter is is a way to say hello and um, you know and and uh, when the um quarantine lifts hopefully i'll go back to making some television with uh my partners at universal television and Mm -hmm. um you know if mike has another good idea i'd love to work with him again and you know Mm -hmm. all these uh all these fine folks you've heard me uh brag about um laughing in a room with i'd love to keep making stuff with them oh well i hope that you do because your work is incredible and i look forward to the next thing that you do thank you so much josh awesome great to meet you guys Lonnie, that was awesome. I really I appreciate Josh for joining us. Like, it was so cool to get to meet him. So, oh, he's amazing. It was so, so much great. fun talking to him. So yeah. great. 
To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and Josh at Josh Siegel, S-I-E-G-A-L, and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to care about people who happen to be pretend. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our May producers. Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers, stay passionate. Have faith in your work that isn't done yet. Go write the thing or it doesn't exist. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a How Story Works producer. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or be a firefighter, not an arsonist. We'll be back next time with our Fix-It episode of Game Night with special guest Joshua Unruh. And after that will be our season finale in which we will answer your questions. So be sure to send your questions to at Chipperish on Twitter or Lonnie at Chipperish.com. Send them to us and then we will put them in the finale and answer your questions. Until then, shut up, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs>